lose everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? But, but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in sports. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It is all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host, as always. And you know where to follow me, but in case you came from a wonderful guest today, follow me at Kid. You can check out my work over at The Athletic if actually you aren't signed up and you happen to come in and want to go check things out over there, including my work, the great work of hey Ken Rosenthal, Jay Glazer, that type of level stuff, or the podcast we have over there, which you can check out tons of. Joni Carey's got a podcast, all sorts of stuff. But if you're not a subscriber, the point being, you can go to theathletic.com front slash all in sports, the name of the show, and you get 30% off your very first year. So check that out. Check out the podcast over there. As I mentioned, Sports Unsealed with myself, Chris Meany, and Brad Ziegler. But uh, we're here to talk fantasy football today, and we're here to talk fantasy football with a terrific guest, one of my favorite in the business. So let's get rolling with my favorite Marcus in fantasy football. No, I'm just kidding. Well, probably the famous Marcus I know, and he's at Marcus G. That's with two A's, just in case you aren't following him, which I think is crazy if you're not. Uh, one of the best in the business, exceptionally entertaining, one of the nicest guys. Welcome to the show. Mar- oh, you know what? I, I didn't even do like where to find you and stuff like that. You can do that. I'll, I'll leave that to you since I didn't take care of it. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm at NFL Media. Uh, you know, I'm, when, they, when they put us on television, I, I tend to do some of that at NFL Fantasy Live. I'm, I'm on the NFL Fantasy Live podcast, which is once a week. Uh, I dabble with some writing at NFL.com. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that Culver City life, man. <laughs> it's funny. I actually got a spam call from Culver City a little while ago. And I was like, uh, is Marcus calling me from the office to, <laughs> like, to follow? And I answered, it's like, hi, this is Stacy with blah, blah. I was like, seriously? So, yeah, <laughs> Culver City out there. Uh, here's the side question for you, because I know you had some Game of Thrones talk on your podcast with Fabiano. Uh, I will ask you about that in a second, but my follow-up question, so to speak, is are you watching anything wise since, because I feel like you and I, who were fans of Voltron and we love the reboot, since then there's kind of been nothing, and the Voltron thing, I don't think you and I even talked about it since then, it kind of felt like it was kind of like, hey, guess what, guys, we're not going to really announce it, we're just going to throw out the last season. Oh, by the way, there's a real quick follow-up season after that, they were just, it's all over, sorry if you missed it, like it just kind of, they just threw it all together and it was still well done. It just was kind of like thrown all of it at once, and then all of a sudden it was over, and now there's nothing left to watch. Yeah, you know, it's funny because because I fell behind, so I wasn't catching up. I wasn't watching all the seasons as they landed. Um, it ended up just kind of flowing for me because I wasn't expect. You know, I was like, okay. I went back and looked. I'm like, okay, there are, what, seven seasons. All right, great. I'll just finish these last however many I had, two or three. Uh, so it all sort of flowed. But, yeah, I did like the ending. As for now, uh, I don't know. I started watching Ultraman. I don't love Is it. Is it any good? It's the, the fights are great. The fight scenes are awesome. Um, the writing is not great. The story is sort of, sort of you know, basic. But, but if you just want to watch some great fights, then yeah, that, that show is pretty awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah, see, the, the Voltron, see, I, I'm, I guess because you didn't get to follow, like I was catching up as they were coming out. It was the same way when they did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 
reboot, but before the last reboot where they went off the deep end, in my opinion, from the artistic standpoint. But they kind of did the same thing. It's like all of a sudden they didn't announce the last season and they just broke it out there and it was truncated and then they brought back and it was out of order and it's just like, here you go, it's all over. It's, it's done. That's the end. Sorry. But uh, so you're not like a you're not a one punch man or anything like that. Uh, you know what? I, I have started watching One Punch Man, and so far it's entertaining. I actually like that show. Um, I, I think seriously, I enjoy stories of like superheroes or supervillains like trying to assimilate into everyday life, right? And so the fact that like this guy is doesn't really care, but it's like super great <laughs> thing is sort of funny to me. Uh, so like that's one. I may have to keep watching that one, uh, you know, because it, it seems more entertaining. I, like I said, I'm, I'm plowing through Ultraman, but I probably should go back to One Punch Man. Yeah, it's just definitely, it's that whole, and it plays up to all the Japanese anime cliches. And it's like, like you said, he just doesn't care. <laughs> he walks down the street, ends up, oh, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody. <laughs> all right, before we jump into fantasy football, are you Team Game of Thrones was great? Team Game of Thrones, man, that was terrible. Or Team Game of Thrones, meh, whatever. It was fine. Um, so I was, upon first watch, like watching it live, I thought, eh, it's fine. Thinking about it, I don't hate it, but there are definitely things about it that, that bothered me. Um, you know, I, Game of Thrones was never expected to be or supposed to be a show that ended happily ever after. But right. I felt like we sort of got a lot of happily ever afters, right? Like, I'm happy for Sansa, right? Like, that was great that she gets to be the queen of the North and, and she gets her moment. Um, you know, but like this whole thing with Tyrion leading the small council and they're just like jabbering about basic mundane governance. I'm like... It got too jokey. And like, what is this? We're going to sit here. We're going to have like a... We're going to have like, you know, congressional squabbles now. Like, ugh, no. So that frustrated me. Um, you know, the whole thing about, and look, if you haven't watched it by now, I'm not saying spoiler alert for you. That's your bad. Um, yeah, that's too bad. Like, like the whole thing with, you know, they're all voting to make Bran the broken king. And suddenly Sansa's like, yeah, I know we're, we're, we're going to opt out. And I'm like, if I'm anybody else on that council, I'm like, wait, hang on. I didn't <laughs> know I had that option. Like, <laughs> like. I want to revote. Like, I just can't believe that they all just sort of went along with it. And then sounds like, yeah, we're out. And nobody like bothered to challenge it. They're like, that's cool. And everybody just went on with their lives. <laughs> so I'm with you. Like I'm, I'm a hundred percent team. Eh. Like, yeah, it was fine. It was a fine ending. Like, all right, the Stark children mostly worked out. Like, I, I actually don't mind that John went off with the wildlings back north and he's just going to live where he was happiest if you watched his entire story, despite he doesn't have his woman there anymore, though, because she's dead. But all that being said, you're right. Like, the Sansa thing, like, I don't even have a problem with them being independent because they that was kind of the point of the North is they always wanted to be independent. But to your point, I thought the same thing. is like nobody else was like, no, you have to be part of this or you, you like... <laughs> Like right. we, we're out too, <laughs> or, or or we all fight. Like you know, something something has to happen. Especially the folks in Dorne who like pretty much sat out the whole thing. Right? They sat out the 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 fight against the army against the dead. They they sat out the whole battle of King's Landing. Like Dorne's like, wait, why are we in on this? Like. <laughs> I don't mind the Tyrion being the king because I kind of think like he's essentially is king and I don't mind that because it's kind of like you know he's the imp as he always said he's the one that was never supposed to be able to do anything I don't mind but like you said that that whole scene I, I made this joke to I forget who else I made this to somebody else I said tell me 
it wouldn't fit if you overlaid the Curb Your Enthusiasm music and it panned out of that scene and that was the end of the show. Like that scene was just kind of like, ha, 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 jokey, jokey, fun, fun, da, 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 it's over. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even sold that Bran would be a good king. Like he just, you know, like, great, you can see everything that happens in the future. I need you to make a decision now. Like when things are <laughs> happening, I don't want you to say, I have to go now and just ward yourself into a bird. Like I need you to give me answers. You're the king. <laughs> I'm not sure he's, he's built for that. Yeah, he was, so he's playing the long con apparently, and they, like I was, I'm still waiting for more of those memes to roll through. It's like, what do you think I came all this way for? Yeah, I will say this: this is the one thing I threw out, Marcus. Is I, I'm sure you've seen it because everybody has at this point. But George R. R. Martin's basically said like, this is his story. He told them this is how it's going to end. The only thing he's changing or would change in the books are secondary characters. What if George R. R. Martin was playing the long con too, and he was waiting for the show to be disappointing so he could trump them and make the books different? Maybe, maybe that. So he's like gonna well actually the wise yeah. up basically. Uh, I mean that's possible. Uh, you know, if I'm George R. R. Martin, I'm trying to write a new story for Eli Manning and the Giants though, because uh, <laughs> that's the one that's struggling with him right now. Oh, I, I don't even. I, I've so moved on from them that I, I can just laugh at them. I've just distanced <laughs> myself from being a fan. I bought an Odell Beckham Browns jersey. Like I don't even. I'm not even upset anymore. But. The reason I have you on is, and we can actually even bring up the Giants quickly, even though they weren't on the list, but uh, you and I were in the Football Diehards non-PPR mock draft. Uh, a lot of these magazine mock drafts are starting to roll through. You had the 10th pick. I had number two, uh, actually, Saquon Barkley from the Giants. Talk a little bit about your draft and some of the other players in it. I don't think there's much to be surprised with from what your start was. You started with Michael Thomas and Juju Smith-Schuster. Looking back on it, I guess the only question I would have from that start is when you start with Leonard Fournette and Tariq Cohen as your one and two in a non-PPR, is there any of the, well, you know what, I kind of wish I would have got a running back in the first two rounds, or are you happy how that turned out? Uh, maybe not in the first two rounds. I'm fine with where it shook out with Thomas and, and Juju falling to me. That was fine. I do wish maybe I had taken another running back somewhere else in the draft. Um, but I think my, my strategy this year is really to go very wide receiver heavy. I mean, I think if there's anything that we learned from the actual NFL draft, it's that teams are starting to, they're, they're adding depth to the wide receiver position, right? It is, uh, as someone said to me, it is a passing league. We should draft accordingly. So I think this may be a year where I think at least in drafts, I'm a little bit lighter on running backs and going a little bit heavier on wideouts. Oh, that's fair. And that's certainly, so let me ask you this in correlation to that and the fifth pick, which seems to be the worst pick in my opinion this year, because after the big four running backs are gone, it's kind of like, what do you do? And whether it's non or PPR, uh, look, this was non PPR. Bob Harris took Devonte Adams. I was in a PPR where the first nine picks were running backs and Le'Veon Bell was the fifth pick. And Le'Veon Bell, I want to focus on him and the fifth pick overall is one, are you going running back if you have the fifth pick or would you take Adams or Hopkins? And then two, what are your feelings on Le'Veon Bell? Because yes, it's, you know, three, four weeks ago, we're like, oh, you know what? Le'Veon Bell, best case scenario, he's Le'Veon Bell again. But now we have this whole, they didn't want, Adam Gase didn't want him. And there's trade rumors, which let's, you know, we'll throw those out the window. But the point being is he's not fascinated with him. He hates like leaning on one running back. What are you doing at the fifth pick? What are you doing with Le'Veon Bell? You know, honestly, I feel like if you gave me, if I had 10 different drafts where I was picking fifth, I might potentially do 10 different things just because I don't know that there's one clear-cut answer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I could see myself taking Nuke. I could see myself maybe taking Lev. 
Um, you know, and I know for all the, the panic right now about Todd Gurley, if he's sitting there at fifth, like, I got to think about that. So, you know, I, I don't know that – I think you're right. It is, it is a frustrating spot to be in because all the, you know, the seemingly for sure picks are going to be gone, and now you're left with the first real decision of the draft. Um, right. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think my, my first instinct right now is to go wide receiver and maybe take the DeAndre Hopkins at five. Uh, as for oh. Lev, oh, sorry, as for Lev, I sort of am coming. I, I'm sort of where you are on this one. Like, part of me is like, well, he's Lev Bell. Like, you got him, and you paid all this money for him. Like, you're going to use him, right? But I mean, Adam Gase is as unpredictable as they come, and so that does worry me. I don't know that it worries me enough that I would let him slip out of the first round. But I could see him kind of fall into the back half of that first round and maybe ending up somewhere around six or seven, just because. There's so many question marks right now as to what his role could be in that offense. Yeah, and that's where I'm kind of with you in the fact that like the 10 different draft situation because you can poke holes in every single running back from that point on. Like you mentioned, Todd, really, but let's talk about Melvin Gordon has one full season to his belt or under his belt. And you look at all the other options here. And one of them I wanted to bring up and ask you about as well is David Johnson. And I find David Johnson interesting for it's kind of a combination reason, Marcus. And it's because you know, there was a lot, and I'm not saying I'm the only one because there was, there was a lot of people that were on the same page as I was like, Hey, look, as bad as last year was, he was still RB nine, 10, depending on your format. That's, you know, part of playing 16 games. And we know the attrition of the running back position, but still he was consistently, you know what? He was consistently game of throws. He was consistently, eh, it was, eh, it was pretty good. It wasn't as bad as you think it was. It wasn't amazing, but it's the excitement of Cliff Kingsbury. It's the excitement of Kyler Murray, but on the flip side, Marcus, and this is where I'm going with it. Is David Johnson really guaranteed to have an even better year just because of Kingsbury and the offense? Because I actually, as much as I'm a fan of Kyler Murray, and I'm putting this out there so people understand where the question's coming from, I have Kyler Murray as my 12th rated quarterback because I think he's going to run a ton. If he's running a ton, I think that actually hurts David Johnson a little bit in the fact that maybe he doesn't catch 70, 80, 90 balls. Maybe he only catches 60 because Kyle McCurry is taking off running. Uh, I mean, I get that. I understand that. I know that's, you know, that's why a lot of people are sort of down on the Ravens offense just because Lamar Jackson might take off and run at any given point. I guess my counterpoint to that, though, is if you have David – Kyler Murray is going to run. There's no way around that. But maybe having David Johnson as a potential outlet there means he runs a little bit less. Maybe he starts to, to you know, dump that ball off a little bit. I wouldn't say that, uh, that DJ is guaranteed to have a better season just because Cliff Kingsbury is there. But I just think that it's, it just feels like they're going to figure out a way to use him. I mean, yeah, Mike McCoy had no idea what he was doing there with David Johnson. Whereas I, I think you know, Cliff Kingsbury is going to see that he has a dynamic offensive weapon and at least put him in new spots. And so I think just the, the, the ability for him, for Johnson to kind of move around, to be in different situations, and to work with an offensive coach who can actually scheme people open, I think that's where a lot of that excitement is coming from. And I think right now, you know, I'm seeing Johnson, what, hanging around till late first, early second round. I mean, if he gets to the second round, I feel like that's a steal this year. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. I just I think the hesitancy I have are the people like put it this way. Go back to the question about the fifth pick and the ten different options. I don't think one of them would be David Johnson for me. As much as I love the guy, I, I just think that I think to your point, he's a second half of the first round running back. So let's talk about one specific player that's not a running back and his placement in general because 
if you put this person at wide receiver, he's not just a top 12 wide receiver as in a wide receiver one. He's actually last year would have been the eighth best wide receiver, eighth best, which means the eighth best wide receiver should be going mid to upper second round. At what point are you willing to take Travis Kelsey off the board for your team? Uh, I mean, I could take him at the turn. I, I wouldn't mind doing that, taking him at the turn and, and uh, you know, whatever, in a 12-team in league, so that 12-13 spot, sure. Um, I could see that. I, I guess my, my only concern with that is that I sort of believe that tight end is going to re- – the position as a whole is going to rebound this year. Um, you know, we've got – we know the guys at the top between, you know, Chelsea, Kittle, and Ertz. Uh, you know, Hunter Henry is back and, and hopefully can get through a full season healthy. Delaney Walker is healthy again. You know, we've got O.J. Howard. We got you – know, there's so many guys. The position, I think, potentially is deeper this year. I like – you know, I know everybody says rookie tight ends don't really offer much, but I think Noah Fant in Denver has a chance to be kind of sneaky good. I mean, you know, Evan Ingram is there in, in New York. So, yeah, whereas you could spend that draft capital on Kelsey and get him at the top of the second round, I think there's a chance for you to wait a little bit and still find some decent production somewhere later on in your draft. So are you out on – you mentioned them. Are you out on the Urs and Kittle in the third round as well? Probably. I would think that I would probably end up spending a third-round pick more on a running back or wide receiver. Uh, you know, right now, if I could get I'm, – I'm still big on Eric Ebron, like, and I know, I know touchdown regression is coming. I know it. Don't tell me that. I know it. But, <laughs> um, but he is still going to be a guy who gets a ton of targets in what is a very good offense that should score a lot of points. So even with Devin Funches there, even with, you know, Marlon Mack, I'm expecting to do bigger and better things this year. I still think Eric Ebron absorbs quite a few targets this year. And, and look, even if he doesn't score 12 touchdowns, even if he gives me six to eight touchdowns, that's still pretty solid. That is. And I'm with you. I actually was talking to Pat Mayo yesterday uh, and I, I was saying the fact that I'm not that worried about Jack Doyle. Like I, I think at this point, like if anything they get from Jack Doyle should just be seen as like a bonus at this point. No, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, Jack Doyle was everybody's favorite fantasy tight end for a couple of years, and then Eric Ebron came and just, you know, started taking food off his plate. But, uh, yeah, I don't – I don't, I think if anybody is a threat to Eric Ebron, it's probably Devin Funches is just being a big red zone target. Yeah, it's because Devin Funches is basically a tight end at the wide receiver position. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, in Michigan, he played tight end for a couple of seasons, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what the joke is about him. So let, let me ask you about your third-round pick. You took Leonard Fournette, and I mentioned that before when you were running backs. He's still running back 18 off the board in this draft, and it's non-PPR. And I know, jokingly, the fact is he's had two full seasons, but two seasons where he hasn't played a full season or made it through 60, actually hasn't even made it through 14 games. Is Leonard Fournette as the running back 18 at the late third round? It's like, is, is the risk now baked in, and he's becoming a value? Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can understand that argument. I think so. Because um, even when I, where I took him, I looked at it and I sort of held my nose. And I'm like, all right, well, here's Leonard Fournette. But I, I think my, my hope is whatever, whatever chat that he and Tom Coughlin had last year at the end of the season, you know, with, with him coming out and saying I could have been in better shape, um, that, that offense is still going to revolve around him. I don't care how much they paid Nick Foles. They're going to be a run-first team. And so, like, maybe this is the year he finally – has his body in shape, that he finally has his mind right, and that he can sort of withstand the rigors of a 16-game schedule. Because when he's right, when he's healthy, he's getting the football, the dude can be a beast. It's just that you got to believe he can be on the field and be involved for most of the game. So, I, I, like I said, third round, 
yeah, I didn't, I wasn't super excited about it, but I think, you know, if he plays up to his potential, it could be a steal. Yeah, uh, and if he makes it through, well, let's say even 14 games, like I just threw out, if he makes it through 14, that is going to be a steal. It's just whether he makes it that far. Let's talk about Kenny Galladay, your fourth-round pick. And at the time, I wasn't even going to bring this up, you know, a few days ago when I was looking at this draft. But now, because it's been talked about a lot on Twitter the past few days, hashtag fantasy Twitter, whatever you want to call it, you know how this goes, Marcus. Is like we have three months where people want to start talking fantasy football and it's kind of early. People really aren't drafting unless you're in best balls and stuff like that. And the momentum starts. And because people start talking about it, more people start talking about it, more people jump on board. And before you turn around, the hype's through the roof. There's a lot of talk right now that Kenny Galladay, over the last seven games, was averaging 10 targets per game. And if you look at what happened when they sidelined Golden Tate and all this type of stuff where it's like, is Kenny Galladay underrated? Can he be a wide receiver one this year? And as you got him at wide receiver 17, for some people might even see him a little bit pricey. Are you going? To, are you in on him at this price and then you still think it's a value and going to be out if it gets near wide receiver one? Or do you think, are you on board with that whole, maybe we, we're, we're still underrating what Kenny Galladay can be? No, I don't think we are. I mean, at the price I got him, that's I think where I would like to be able to get him. But you're right, the way the hype's going, it's just not going to happen. Um, I, I think he's going to lead the, the Lions in targets. I don't think that's a newsflash, you know, saying that or anything. But I think <laughs> what? The, I, know, I think the question is, what is this offense going to look like? You know, with Matt Patricia there, and, and just, they're not throwing the ball. You know, this isn't this isn't those Lions teams where Matt Stafford was going to throw the ball 650 times a, a, a season. Those teams, you know, that, that's just not the way it is. So. If Galladay will lead them in targets, those targets will be decreased. And I just don't know how prolific this Lions offense is going to be scoring this year. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I understand the hype in terms of his ability. I just wonder whether or not the offense and the way it's going to be built this year is going to justify moving that tar moving that draft price up too much more than where it is. No, that that's certainly fair. All right. So let's talk some wide receivers still and let's go to the Rams because the Rams are interesting for a couple of ways, Marcus, and I'm sure you know this. This is going to be telling you anything you don't know. But, you know, you look at last year, and at one point it's like, hey, all three wide receivers are in the top 15. Jared Goff is going ballistic. And then Cooper Cup gets hurt, and Jared Goff, Jared Goff falls off a cliff. And part of it, you could argue and say, well, maybe Jared Goff wasn't ever that good. So I'm, I'm kind of throwing all the arguments out there for you just so you can pick and choose and tell me how you feel. It's like, you know, Jared Goff, maybe he wasn't that good without Cooper Cup. Or... Maybe it wasn't even so much Cooper Cup as it is just the league has figured out what Sean McVay did to Jared Goff to make him a better player. Or you look at this year and you say, well, now he's got all three, and all three, if you looked at last year, are going to be great again. So it's kind of all those, how do you feel about Goff in this offense, and then how are you ranking the three Rams receivers for yourself? Um, you know, the thing about Goff, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a name dropper for a minute, but you can work <laughs> One of the cool things about working at NFL media is being able to kind of talk to or at least listen to conversations with guys who played the game. And one thing that Willie McGinnis mentioned that I thought was really insightful was that, you know, at some point what teams started to do, and I think the Bears certainly were good at it, plus the Bears just had a great defense. But what teams started to do is understand that, you know what, let's not show a look until that microphone, that connection between the quarterback and the coach kind of clicks off because that was the big thing is that they would get to the line. Sean McVay would sort of look things over. He'd make the call. Goff would look great. 
Well, basically, I think teams have defenses have started to say, well, you know what? We'll wait until Goff and McVay can't communicate anymore. Then we'll show the look and we will force Jared Goff to read the defense. And I think that's where you saw some kind of hiccups starting there. So, you know, maybe people have sort of figured out Goff and we'll see if he's able to kind of counterpunch this year and, and get back into it. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that I, I think I would see in a lot of industry drafts. It wouldn't surprise me if Jared Goff goes undrafted. I think, you know, I think he's, he's a fringe QB1 at best right now. Um, it certainly helps having all his receivers back. I would say that for, for me, the ranking would probably go Cooks first. Then I really think it's a coin flip between Cup and Woods. And I think what's going to happen is that Robert Woods is going to be maybe one of the most overdrafted players this year because I think a lot of people – uh, are going to look back and see the numbers and see that he had a career year and maybe forget that Cooper Cup was gone for a good portion of that, and that's part of the yeah. reason those numbers were inflated. So, um, you know, I, I would probably put Cup slightly ahead of him because it seems like he and Goff just have some sort of mind meld. Um, but I think, I think all three of those guys will still get you, you know, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 yards this year. You know, what's funny is we had 18 quarterbacks go in this draft. Jared Goff was not one of them. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise. Kyler Murray was the 18th one. I actually took the, the final quarterback. He was the backup Cam Newton. Actually, speaking of Cam Newton, where are you on Cam Newton? Because I've been getting like mocks right now, 10th, 11th, 12th round, looking at Cam Newton and looking at last year and saying, yes, I know there's injury risk. And part of the reason, that's why I drafted Kyler Murray with my last pick. And that's why in another Cam Newton draft that I had, I think my backup quarterback ended up being Dak Prescott. Um so I have my insurance, but again, to like, let's assume the health here for a second and look at weeks two. You know what? Let's, let's not even do that, Marcus. Let's include week one. Include week one and the fact that he threw zero touchdowns, and then from week two until he got hurt, he had two-plus touchdowns in every single game. And the fact that even including week one, the only person that was a better quarterback than him was Patrick Mahomes. So where are you on Cam Newton? Are you, is it too risky given how many injuries he's had? Or are you on my side of things where saying, you know what? If you're going to give me him in double-digit rounds, a healthy Cam Newton is similar to a healthy Leonard Fournette and a healthy Todd Gurley. A healthy, you know what? I'll take the risk at that point. I guess. I'm scared. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm scared, man. I just The accumulation of injuries, the shoulder issue. I mean, we're talking about a shoulder problem for a quarterback who was not the most accurate to begin with. Um, you know, I, I, if you could promise me, and nobody can, if, if you could promise me that Cam goes back to running a little bit more, if he goes back to being the guy who, who is going to get you four or 500 yards on the ground and maybe get you six or eight touchdowns, I mean, you know, let's not forget, Cam Newton for years has been Carolina's best goal line back. Like, if he could go back to being that guy again, then sure, <laughs> maybe I'd take the chance. But last year he wasn't running quite as much because obviously Christian McCaffrey was absorbing so much, at, so much oxygen in that atmosphere, um, he wasn't running quite as much, and the shoulder injury sort of sapped his ability to throw the football late in the season. It, it scares me, and I'm, I'm willing to sit this one out and be wrong. That's fine. Um, I, I would rather sit this out and be wrong than take a chance and be wrong. Well, that, hey, that's certainly fine. All right, so then let me ask you about this situation. If you're drafting today because news just broke within the past two days about this situation, Chris Carson is dealing with an injury. Now, Pete Carroll... I don't know. Like, I, I kind of speculate and joke about it. and say, like, I don't know if he was fond of the Rashad Penny. Like, I kind of feel like that was one where the front office and the coach weren't on the same page, and it was kind of like a begrudging, like, fine, we'll take Rashad Penny. Because it wasn't even before Penny got hurt. We saw 
last year that Carroll was pushing for Carson and then the usage was there for Carson and then Penny got hurt and that just compounded the issue. But now Carson's hurt and Penny had numbers last year where you can make the argument for him again and people know that I, I'm a fan of Rashad Penny, but he had one of the highest marks of yards after contact and all that type of stuff. Is this the opening for Penny? Is this a frustrating situation where the opening is here, so now we could be looking at a 50-50 split? Because to let you know, Marcus, uh, when I was at the combine, I actually asked him about Rashad Penny, and I said, you know, you guys spent a first-round pick. Do you want more out of the next year? You know, trying to play the, 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 the nice way of asking the question. And he said his answer, of course, and Pete Carroll speak of always was, I see a role for both of them this year. So is this one where you're just scared and you're just going to stay away from the cost? Probably. Yeah. I mean, like, cause I do think it's, you know, at, at best, at best, at worst, I don't know however you describe it. It may be a 50, 50 split. You know, I had believed that they were going to give Rashad Penny every opportunity to try and steal that gig, uh, being a first round pick. Uh, you know, maybe that happens, but I still think Chris Carson's going to be good enough to, to kind of at least stay on the field a little bit. So it's just going to be frustrating uh, and trying to pick another Seattle running back. I think both of them may end up kind of, you know, cannibalizing the other one yeah and i think that's the biggest concern it's like and you're not gonna what are you gonna do week to week and that's the that's the my that's always the question i throw back at people when we're talking about these kind of situations there it's like well you know i really kind of like whatever it's like okay but are you comfortable throwing that running back out every single week because if you try to play the matchups you know this marcus anytime we're dealing with the backfield that's even a 60 40 unless you roll them out there every single week you try to play the matchups and there's a good chance that you miss 50 percent of the time no, absolutely right. I mean, look, anybody who dealt with the 49ers backfield last year could figure <laughs> that same thing out, right? Because, by the way, Matt Breda is hurt. I think he's got like a torn peck or something like that, but I think he's still probable for the week. Uh, so yeah, I I, well, I jokingly said that last year because I said if Matt Breda was questionable – fire him up because he's gonna have a huge game if he's 100% healthy bench him and that actually worked out like I was just saying tongue-in-cheek but that actually worked out and was true yeah it was the weirdest thing like the worst part was that he'd be questionable he'd be on death's door everybody's making you know contingency plans grabbing other running backs and suddenly <laughs> you know first snap of the game here comes Matt Breida trotting out from the sideline to get carries it was the worst thing ever <laughs> well let's talk about that real quick because we're going to get to this anyway because you drafted Tevin Coleman you actually for everybody out there you drafted him in the eighth round 33rd running back off the board which I'm not excited about this backfield but if you're giving me Tevin Coleman as the 33rd running back on the board I'm going to do the same thing you did and I'm taking him every single time but you just mentioned he has got the torn pack Moster actually had a, a setback, and now he has an injury. McKinnon is still not doing much to this point coming back from his. Are we potentially seeing the Tevin Coleman breakout that we wanted to see last year happen this season because he's with Shanahan? Maybe. Um, but I will say that, you know, the, the, the thing that made me lean toward Tevin Coleman is the fact that, hey, look, this was supposed to be Shanahan's guy in Atlanta, right? That he, They drafted this guy. Shanahan, apparently, you know, that was the story. He didn't like Devontae Freeman. Tevin Coleman was going to be the man. So I guess if that means anything, if there's any merit to that, then Coleman's the guy that I want out of this backfield. But, I mean, with, with all the reports being that all three of those guys between Coleman, McKinnon, and Breida can see work, uh, this, this might be the biggest backfield headache in the NFL this year. I mean, of, of, of backfields that have actual players you would want to draft, um, this could be the potential biggest headache this year. 
<laughs> I think it's up there. If not number one, it's number two. It's, it's definitely right behind it. I'm going to backtrack one pick, and that was round seven. And that was mostly because two reasons is I love this player this year for his value. And the second part was I was really mad when you took him and because I thought he would still make it until like the eighth or ninth round. You took Christian Kirk in the seventh, which – I was happy about for the respect he deserves, in my opinion. I was mad that you took him. Uh, Christian Kirk, uh, here, I'll, I'll play. So we're going to play a game with three players at the end of this show. And it's basically, it's going to be called How Crazy Is Jake Seeley? And you get to do that, which I know you're going to love because <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. <laughs> but I think Christian Kirk's going to be the number one Cardinals wide receiver this year. I agree. No, I, I think that too. I mean, actual wide receiver, like David Johnson could still lead them in targets potentially this year. But right. In terms, their, in terms of their wide receivers, yeah, no, I think Christian Kirk is going to be their, their number one wide out. Now, I, I, you know, this is kind of early in the season when, when the, the draft prices are still a little bit reasonable. Like, yeah, may, you know, I think Christian Kirk in the seventh, by the time we get to August, we'll be wishing that Christian Kirk could happen in the seventh, right? Because the Cliff Kingsbury hype is just going to get louder. And that's why I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking dart throws at Andy Isabella late in drafts just because, hey, who knows? If this, if this offense really takes off the way everybody hopes it does, then you're going to want to get on board. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I made you mad with my Christian Kirk pick because I, I think <laughs> there's the potential for him to, to do some nice things if he can stay healthy. Uh, let me ask you this then. Let's say their prices are the same when we get to August. Robbie Anderson or Christian Kirk? Uh, man, you know that's a what? Tough call. That, that's you know what? That's all I needed. That um, I'm glad that that your response is that. That's the point. I think that's what I wanted to make the point of. Is I think they're in the same conversation and they're two rounds apart right now. Yeah. Um. I would imagine so. What Anderson's going later? Is that what it is? Or is he going earlier? No, earlier. He's going late, mid fifth, and you took Kirk at the huh. end of the seventh. I would have figured that with all the turmoil around the Jets, that somehow it would have depressed his uh, his draft value. No, no, no. It's it's the excitement of Sam Darnold's last couple games and Robbie <laughs> Anderson's big play and all that. Type. And look, I'm not. I, I you know you laughed and I kind of said that with that tone, but at the same time, you know, there's plenty of excitement to be warranted with Robbie Anderson. But to your point. I, I love that that was your response, that it wasn't even a, an answer. It was, uh, it's, it's a tough call, and I think that, that's my point. Is I think it should be a tough call, so I'm glad we're on the same page as that one. Let me ask you about another backfield that, as of right now, I think a lot of people are seeing as clear-cut. Is there a chance that by August, Royce Freeman has climbed the ladder and is now pushing Philip Lindsay for the value in that backfield, or after last year, are we done? Is Freeman toast? I, I wouldn't say he's toast, but I, I you know I do I do think people are going to start maybe taking a shot at him later in drafts. I I don't see the value climbing just because of how good Lindsey was last year. Um, right. You know. I, you know. I but I, I could see a situation where people are taking a shot at him uh, later in drafts. And look, I, I think he's going to get on the field as he got outplayed early in the year. But by later in the year, he looked like he was starting to kind of figure things out and get a clue a little bit. So maybe that helps this year. Uh, but I still think Lindsay is, is the back that you want to have out of that backfield. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I just I think that this will also be contingent on, you know, how healthy Lindsay is because he's still recovering from a major surgery. So 
I, that was just a curious question of like more frustrating backfields, which that's kind of to go all the way back to our first question of this is why I'm leaning a little bit more than you are towards getting a bell cow running back in the first round um, just to have that. But at this at this stage, I mean, there's I, I, we poked holes in all those running backs anyway, so you can look at it any different direction. I'm not going to tell anybody out there that you're crazy for whatever strategy you want to use because any strategy can work. But here's one that I find interesting. Let's talk about Miles Sanders, the rookie, because it the draft here's the here's I'm gonna just play paint the scenario for him, Marcus. So the draft happens and Miles Sanders gets drafted, and everybody's immediately, oh my God, this is gonna change everything. This is this is the running back that's making Doug Peterson different, Marcus. Like this time it's going to be different. So <laughs> and immediately I did I jumped in because I wanted to see I always love doing a draft the immediate week of the NFL draft, the the week right after, just to get that initial reaction. And Miles Sanders was the 15th running back off the board. In our draft, he was the 29th running back off the board. The 29th, I think that's respectable because now you're giving him the room to be like, what What if this is the one chance? What if he does get 60% of the touches? Then we're going to be super excited about Miles Sanders, and he's a top 20, if not top 15 running back. My problem is it's Doug Peterson, and if you're going to be buying him at that price, we've done this with J.J. We've done this with running backs before. Tell me I'm crazy. No, I mean, you're not crazy at all. I mean, that's, that's sort of why, you know, like, I, I love Miles Sanders. I love his talent. I love what he can do. I, I just don't know that he's going to necessarily get the space right away to do that in Philadelphia, you know? Um, so I, I, I understand people's optimism. I just can't quite celebrate it quite as much. I mean, I, I think that he's got a tougher road than, say, somebody like David Montgomery, who I think, you know, I, I don't think he walks in and just becomes a three-down back, but I think there's less there's less competition. I mean, there's Tariq Cohen. And then, you know, I don't know that, that Mike Davis is really that much of a, a threat there anymore. So, I, I, you know, when it comes to rookie running backs, I would tend to lean with David Montgomery ahead of Miles Sanders just because of the situation. Oh, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that one. I think David Montgomery is already a top 20 running back just because if he's getting Jordan Howard's touches, which were 270 last year, people don't even realize that. If that's supposedly the fact that they like him more than Jordan Howard, and he's better than Jordan Howard, then that's his floor. I'm good with that. I don't understand. I think that's going to be one of the, the biggest drives. Actually, you know what? While I was looking at this draft, Marcus, I think I found the backfield that's the worst, even worse than the 49ers. It's got to be the Bills, right? There you go. It's the Bills. I get, <laughs> let, let me throw this out. If LaShawn McCoy does get cut somehow, and then TJ Yeldon and both Frank Gore are only five hundred thousand dollar dead cap hits, so they could get they could conceivably 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 get rid of McCoy and Yeldon. If that happens, would you jump in on Singletary? Yeah, I mean, I would. Um, although you know, Josh Allen's still their best running back, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and I say that with all due respect to Frank Gore, who really will live forever. Um, yeah. It, I would give Singletary a shot, but literally he, he might be like my fifth running back. I, you know, just I don't know what to make of that offense, and I think they're, you know, this is the year that we find out if Josh Allen is actually good or not. But that running back situation is just a disaster. <laughs> it, it's it's miserable. All right, one more question before we get to the three players. You can tell me if I'm crazy or not. Uh, did you not pay attention to the rules, or did you take a kicker just to stick it to me? Yeah, that's exactly why I did that. I like I'm like yeah I could take another player I know I don't have to take a kicker but I'm like you know what I'm gonna do it just to see who like you know who rolls their eyes at it so yeah no I I I purposely did that uh as a lark just to to, to tweak some people could you hear my groan from Culver City clear across America 
Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So this is all right. One to ten scale, and you could. This is. I'm going to give you a statement. You tell me this is how crazy is Jake Seely. So first one on the board here. Assuming, and this one comes with a caveat, but it's something we're assuming as of today. Of course, we don't know which way the NFL is going to go. But assuming Hill is out for the entire season, Sammy Watkins is a wide receiver one this year. Ooh, so wait, is wait, so wait, what's my so one is not crazy, ten is super crazy. Yes. Uh wide receiver one. Yeah, no, I think I give that like a, I give it like a six and a half. Um, so, it's a little, so it's a little on the crazy. A little on the crazier end. I mean, I just, you know, look, man, we've been waiting for Sammy Watkins to be that wide receiver one for a long time. And I just, I think if there's anything we've learned, when he is the focal point of a passing game, he's just not that guy. I mean, look, it didn't happen in Sean McVay's offense. Like, I just don't know that it's going to necessarily happen <laughs> in the city, especially as long as Travis Kelsey is still upright and breathing. So, as a sidebar, real quick. Can you make a case that Patrick Mahomes isn't the number one quarterback on the board if Hill is out for the year? Absolutely. Um, look, I know people love Damian Williams, but you're you're taking Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt out of that offense. Um, yeah, I mean those are two big pieces off the board. So like, I, I, look, I obviously he was phenomenal last year, um, but if if those two guys aren't available to him this year, then there's a real good case that he's not the number one quarterback. I would think low. Yankee low-key number one quarterback this year to me is Andrew Luck. You know, like I, yeah. I feel like everybody's talking about, you know, Mahomes and, and Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers is always going to get his run. But, man, like, why are we looking at Andrew Luck more as maybe the QB1 this year? I'm, I'm 100% with you. I love that you said that. This is way too much agreement on the same show. You're probably cursing yourself this year in fantasy. Like, <laughs> I'm just giving you a heads up. Uh, all right, number two, one to ten, how crazy is Jake Seeley? Deshaun Hamilton is the number one Broncos wide receiver and a top 25 wide receiver at season's end. Um, I'm going to go, I'll give that a four. Um, I think, I think him being the number one wide receiver in Denver. Yeah. I, I see that easily. Top 25 wide receiver. I don't know. I feel like he maybe just might end up just outside of that. Cause I think so much is dependent on Joe Flacco actually putting together a really good year and that part I'm not quite so sure about but I do think he's going to be the number one receiver in Denver oh good yes I'm so happy Bajon Hamilton I just <laughs> I just follow me on Twitter dude I'm doing more for your career right now I'm just kidding I'm, I'm best tongue-in-cheek I would never say that <laughs> last one before you get out of here Marcus all right one to ten, how crazy is Jake Seeley? I have a feeling this is going to be, well, no, I don't want to put it words in your mouth at this I'm going to just, we'll put it out there. Uh, it's just not that original as the first two. But Kyler Murray is a QB1. I have him as 12 for this year. Um, I mean, it's not crazy. It's like a, it's like a, I don't know, a two or a three. I don't think it'll happen, but I don't think it's crazy to think about. Um, you know, I saw like our, our pal Brad Evans making some, really wild projections about Kyler Murray. Um, I, and it was like, it wasn't even tequila Thursday. I think it was like a Tuesday or something like that. Um, I think, he, I think he gave Kyler Murray projections that would have been better than Cam Newton's MVP season. And I'm like, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's slow down a little bit. Right. So, um, I don't, I don't think he will be a QB one. I think he'll be just sort of on the outside, but I don't, I don't think it's a crazy statement to make. 
No, yeah, I think I, re- I remember. And that's why I hesitated. And when I pulled back on what I was about to say is because I saw the Brad Evans part is ruining it. The fact that like calling him a QB one, but the biggest thing, the biggest reason I have is because even if he only throws 3,500 yards and 23 touchdowns, I see him getting 600 rushing yards and like five touchdowns. Like I actually think his ceiling is the Robert Griffin rookie season of the 800 yards. And I don't think he'll get that, but that's, I think that's the ceiling of what he has. I think, I think so. Um, just, you know, for thought, like we're all sort of in on this Kingsbury offense. Like what if this thing falls on its face in the first year, right? Like, you know, like <laughs> what, what if, what if it takes him actually a couple of years to get this thing going and everybody just buys all in and the thing just falls apart at the seams in year one. Like, what do we do next year? Do we do we buy all do we all buy back in? Does everybody just get a discount on the you know, Kyler Murray's and Christian Kirk's of the world? Like what happens then? I am I'm titling an article right now, Marcus. Thank you for 2020 post hype sleeper edition. The Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, look, I'm gonna call back. If this actually happens, I'm giving you so much credit. I'm gonna like give you all the credit in the world. Well, that one. And so the other one is. Just you know, I'll throw this in for free. Like, what if Freddie Kitchens as a head coach is not as great as Freddie Kitchens, you know, interim offensive coordinator? Like, I know everybody's big on the Browns, but there is a difference in being an OC, uh, former running back coach turned OC, and then as being the head guy, where you have a whole you can't just sit in your man cave drawing up plays in the dirt anymore. Like, you know, <laughs> I know everybody's big on the Browns, but man, there's a big jump in administrative responsibilities, and you just wonder whether or not this team can be the same when Freddie Kitchens suddenly has to worry about defense and special teams. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, you're not wrong, and this is uh, this is what you know. What this is, you're throwing the definition of don't buy all the risk. But I I, I want the positive to end of the show, please. <laughs> as, as much as Marcus Grant is apparently the wet blanket of fantasy football. <laughs> Uh, follow, look, seriously, follow him at Marcus G. Make sure you're watching him on the NFL Network. Check out his podcast. Check out all your stuff because he is, as you can tell, one of the best in the business, extremely entertaining uh, every time you listen to him or watch him. Uh, and I always love having him on the show. Marcus, anything else you wanted to throw in there before we get you out of here? Anybody else you want to crap on real quick? Uh, no, maybe in my own podcast. Because uh, we actually right now we're once a week. We're on Wednesdays. Uh, so like as, we are re- as you and I are recording this, uh, our podcast is just released. We've been doing Game of Thrones recap and I, recaps, and I've been told that we're one of the best Game of Thrones podcasts around, which makes me feel good on one hand. It makes me wonder, like, how good is our fantasy analysis that everybody's talking about our Game of Thrones <laughs> chat? So, uh, I don't know. But anyway, go find that. Like I said, it, uh, it hits every Wednesday at, uh, you know, whatever, iTunes, Stitcher, all the place you find, you know, good podcasts and the mediocre ones, too. Yes, it, please do. Go enjoy that, and anytime you can get some Game of Thrones, it's over now, so get it in while you can, and we'll have to find something about the talk next year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Final Space. Right. Like, is, there, is there a new season of Final Space coming soon? Oh, I, you know what? Like, I'm gonna t- I, I think I can say it. I just was promised not to share it. I've already seen the trailer for season two. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I actually I got... I know that Adult Swim has been running season one in anticipation of season two. Yes, the trailer is coming out at the end of the month. Uh, Olin actually DM'd me the, the trailer and gave me a little sneak peek because I had him on the podcast. So he's, he right. DM'd me the trailer. I am super, like, I watched the trailer probably five times in a row, Marcus. Nice. Yes. So get excited for that. There you go. There's, there's something for us to watch over the summer and talk about. <laughs> there you go. 
right. I'll be back next week. Thanks again to Marcus. Go check him out. Go listen to this podcast. It's, just, it's even better than this one. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 10. So thank you guys. Oh, so nice.